So last week we were, we began the service talking about our orphanage project in Haiti and the wonderful things going on down there. We're doing sort of a uh, world vision type of thing where they, uh, if you're familiar with world visions, adopt a child type of thing and uh, there are some brochures uh, that we were handing out last Sunday, but we ran out of them. And so we're going to be putting more in the back uh, after the service. You can get one. Again, we have purchased a house in Port-au-Prince. We fixed it up during our missions trip last November. And we have just recently put on staff there four or five full-time workers. They're being trained now, and, and now we are... Uh, negotiating with a government agency to receive the children. Very excited about what's going on there. Sue Mantel is at another church this morning talking about the project. We're going to be going around to uh, different churches. Such a privilege to be involved in that. So, this morning is our fourth Sunday in Hebrews. We started that a few weeks ago. We spent the first few Sundays in verses 1 through 3. This morning I'm going to try to pull you away from that, as hard as it may be for me to do. And I've got to tell you, those three verses, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, uh, 1 through 3, are among the most powerful, profound, heavy, and I would say potentially life-changing verses in the Bible. If you do nothing for the next six months but just read and meditate on and dig into those three verses, you'll be a different person at the end of the six months. So uh, we're going to pick it up this morning, uh, starting off in verse 1. Why don't you rise as we read God's holy word. If you need a, uh, a, a book or a Bible, the book, raise your hand. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. So we'll start again on in verse 1, which provides the context for the rest of the chapter. Verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that at at any time, Lord, during the day or night, we can open up your words, Lord, open up the word and expose our heart to the life-changing word that is in there, Lord, in your word, in the Bible. 
And Father, we can't come here this morning just to do so as a family. Just to expose our hearts to your word. Lord, we need it so much. Father, in a world which is just full of grays, we open up your word and it's black and white. How we need that. How we need truth, Lord. Father, we come here not to go through a religious exercise, but to change this morning. I pray by your spirit you do that with every man and woman in here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. So again, this book, actually, it's a letter written to Jewish Christians, uh, probably living in Jerusalem. They were subject to very intense persecution. We learn from later on in the letter that many of them had had their possessions, their houses, their businesses, their valuables, in some cases even members of their own family confiscated from them, taken away. Initially, we will read later on in the letter, this brought joy in their lives, the joy of having the privilege of suffering for their Lord. But over time, probably a period of years, their joy had turned into discouragement. By the time they received their letter here, the discouragement is in danger of turning into bitterness. Discouragement, a normal part of living in this fallen world, normal part of even the Christian life. But never to be uh, taken lightly. Why? Discouragement over time turns into bitterness. And bitterness, the Bible says, Hebrews uh, 12 verse uh, 15, turns into uh, a defiled life. Results in a defiled life. It, it destroys. It, 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 it's a relationship killer, a people killer. It kills people from the inside out. And so the writer of this letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, knows there really is only one way to pull a a man or woman or community of believers uh, out of discouragement, and that is to put Jesus Christ front and center. Getting their eyes, getting your eyes off of what is discouraging you on to Jesus. The writer wastes no time uh, doing that uh, very thing again. Uh, verse 3 saying, he, Jesus, he's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. So he's just right up front, in your face. This is what you need to fix your eyes on. The message is clear. Get your eyes on. Off your circumstances, your circumstances for, the, uh, for a believer in Jesus Christ, circumstances do not control their lives. Your circumstances do not control your life. Jesus does. And again, verse 3 continued, having purged our sins, having wiped away our sins, having uh, cleared us of them, having eradicated not uh, some but every one of them, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
So again in verse 4, he continues having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And so that word there in verse 4, better. It says, having become so much better than the angels. The, you can translate, some of your translations have the word greater or superior. The Greek word kraton. It occurs 13 times in the book of Hebrews, 13 times. That's a lot because this isn't a very much used word in the New Testament. 18 times in the New Testament, 13 times in this book. My wife, Stephanie, on uh, Tuesday nights teaches a woman's Bible studies, and they right now they're going through the book of James. On Tuesday night, what they do is uh, the women, before studying the what, in other words, what does this verse, what does this chapter mean, they study the how. How do I figure that out? How do I study the Bible? So I can figure out the what. And and so they put the how before the what. And Stephanie uses a particular uh, Bible study method. It's made popular by a woman. Many of you may know her, Kay Arthur. She's been around for years now. Precept Ministries. And the method is as simple as it is powerful. It involves simply circling words that seem to be repeated over and over in in, in a book or a chapter and then just asking why. Why is this word keep coming up? What's the meaning of this? There must be a reason. There always is. And so if, they, if we were using that Bible study method uh, in the book of Hebrews, we would be circling the word better or greater, which f- occurs for the first time in Verse 4 there then occurs repeatedly for, for the rest of this letter. And so we ask ourselves, why? Why uh, does the word come up over and over again in the book of Hebrew? What point is the Holy Spirit? Remember, the Holy Spirit's the writer. He's the writer behind the writer. Why does the Holy Spirit keep on repeating this word? Better, greater. Why is he doing that? We want to know. We want to know, Lord, what you're, uh, what you're getting at here. The reason Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. And nothing could, is more important than from time to time to, for just a step back and remember Jesus is greater. What do I have my hands on in my life right now? Well, Jesus is greater. He's better. Well, better than, wh- uh, better than what? Well, the book goes through each one of them. Uh, we have already heard one. In verses 1 through 3, it says Jesus Christ is better or greater than what? What? The prophets. Jesus Christ, better than the prophets. God Verse 1, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. In other words, we have received a better, fuller, greater word. Now you say, well, what can that 
have possibly have to do or be relevant to my life here uh, in the United States in the year 2009? Well, everything in the world. There can hardly be a more relevant, important topic to us today. Why? Well, because Jesus has, by many in this country, by many, many in the church, many pastors and priests and teachers, has been relegated to that very thing, to a prophet. An extremely important one who declared great and wonderful things in a very key, pivotal time in history, but just a prophet. And an outstanding teacher, quite possibly the best one ever uh, who lived. But just that, a teacher. A, an outstanding example of uh, moral strength with, with just incredible courage. An example to us. If we're surrounded by a, a religious system, a, 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 an example of courage to go in and confront it and change it, a symbol of righteousness, of beauty. But we read right here in Hebrews chapter 1, first three verses, he was much, much, much more than that. He was God's son. God at various times in various ways. Spoken in the time past by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken by his son. Nothing can be more important to you and me than that, remembering he's God's son. Heir of all things, verse 2, through whom God made the worlds, the brightness of his uh, glory. He's, he's better, greater than the prophets. Well, verse 4 continues, or it sort of develops that message. It says, having become so much better than the angels, or greater, or superior than the angels. Jesus Christ, greater than an angel. And there appears to have been, at the time this letter was written, those who believed that Jesus was uh, uh, an angel, a really, really important one, but nevertheless an angel. And again, you say, well, that's interesting, Steve, but uh, what does this have to do with me in the year 2009? Well, a whole lot. The Mormon church, the Jehovah's Witnesses, believe that Jesus is an angel, a really, really important one, but nevertheless an angel. Well, the rest of this chapter, chapter 1, is dedicated to refuting that, setting the record straight. And so it does so by quoting Old Testament passages which refer to or are about the coming Messiah, passages which declare that the Messiah is the Son of God. He's not an angel He's the Son of God. That's the message of the rest of the chapter. So beginning in verse 5. For to which of the angels did he, meaning God, ever say, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Angels in the Old Testament, they're sometimes referred to as sons of God, Ben Elohim. But you never see anywhere God singling out an angel saying, you are my son. Nor do you see in the Bible, do you ever see an angel saying, you are my father. 
The message in verse 5 is clear. Jesus, not an angel. He was and is God. To the Jewish people, by the way, uh, uh, the, the, the Son of God, or to call yourself the Son of God, or to, or to refer to someone as the Son of God, was equivalent uh, to God. For example, in John chapter 5, verse 18. It says of Jesus, it says the Jews, I'm just reading now from verse 18 of John chapter 5, it says the Jews sought all the more to kill Jesus because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. So continuing on in verse 6, the writer, the Holy Spirit, continues the argument that Jesus is greater than God. God. It says, but when he, meaning God, again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Let all the angels of God worship him. So now everyone listen up here. If the Bible is clear about anything, It's clear that no one may receive worship other than God. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11, God himself declares, I will not give my glory to another. That is the message that reverberates throughout the entire Bible. The first two of the Ten Commandments deal with this, this issue. Worship of anything or anybody other than God himself is forbidden. That's a fundamental and all-pervading teacher from cover to cover. In Matthew chapter 4, when Satan is tempting Jesus to worship him, Matthew 4.10, Jesus, what does he say? He says, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Remember, years ago, when I had first become a Christian, was listening to the radio, this verse, verse 6 of chapter 1 came up, let all the angels of God worship him. And there was a guy being interviewed on the radio, and I, if I remember correctly, he used to be a pastor of a Jehovah's Witness church. And now remember, jo- Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus is an, a- is an angel. And this verse, he, he was shared with the audience, had, had tormented him. If Jesus is an angel, why are angels worshiping him? John, in the book of Revelation, in his vision of heaven, says in uh, chapter 5, verse 11 of Revelation, this is John speaking, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And Jesus is sitting there on the throne. I heard the voices of many angels around the, uh, the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. Now, uh, it's 100 billion by uh, my math. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and, and, are, and such are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and power. 
be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. That's a scene in heaven. So this Jehovah's Witness pastor I was listening to couldn't get these verses out of his mind. And uh, you know, all this worship of Jesus, eventually he broke down, he committed himself to the, the Jesus of the Bible. You know, the Bible says that there are other Jesus, there are other Gospels that people follow. Don't you follow another Jesus, the Apostle Paul says. And that's what the writer of the Hebrews is, 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 is writing in chapter 1 here. Continuing on in verse 7 and 8, the same message again. What is it? Jesus is greater than the angels. And he's going to draw a comparison, a contrast between the angels and Jesus. Verse 7 says, And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits, and flames of fire. So this is a description of who or what an angel is. An angel is a spirit, a minister, a flame of fire. So uh, this is actually is referring to the speed or the way that angels travel. Angels are created beings. They have the incredible capacity to move throughout the earth. Uh, you see this in the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, referring to angels. It says, as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Wow. I mean, these are some cool dudes. You know, we get these angels, images of angels from painting of the Middle Ages, um, like these little babies. They sort of look like Anna Richardson. Have you seen her lately? Curly blonde hair, and she's walking around. And they have in these little paintings, they have little harps and um, these little wings on them. But, they, you know, they're nothing of the sort. Uh, Revelation chapter 20 uh, You'll see a, a single angel, a single one, laid hold of Satan and cast him into the bottomless pit and bound him there. And my favorite is in Matthew 28, verse 2, uh, the morning of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus was buried in the tomb. The Bible says a massive stone, in the Greek a mega stone. The scholars say it was about a ton or more to uh, cover the tone. Well, Matthew 8, uh, 28, verse 2 says, on the morning of the resurrection, I'm just quoting here, behold, there was a, a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone. So an angel created uh, a, an earthquake. I mean, this is one massive uh, people. You think those guys on whatever, WWF F are big. I mean, uh, these guys are, are huge. Some of you uh, may have heard the, the widely reported account in Africa from, uh, I understand, very credible uh, sources. I forget which African country it was, but uh, some of the African tribes had become hostile, hostile to a missionary family who had just, I believe, had just come into the area. And uh, they had decided to, you know, the witch doctors uh, had decided to wipe the uh, family out, kill them. And the missionary family got word of this, including the time that the tribesmen were going to attack. And so when the time ca came, the missionaries saw them coming through the bush and just sort of coming up 
uh, slowly to the making their way to the house. Then all of a sudden, as they saw these tribesmen, you know, with their weapons and everything, closing in on the house, the missionaries saw to a man, then stopped dead in their tracks. And then all of a sudden, slowly, they began backing away. And then they fleed. And the villagers at a later time were interviewed, and, the, and they said, so why did you back off? And they said, what do you mean, why did we back off? As we were approaching the house, all of a sudden we saw these enormous, huge, powerful creatures, from what they described, uh, uh, 15, 20 feet high, uh, hovering over the house. Uh, we weren't about to take on them. And, and, you know, uh, this isn't just a fairy tale or a legend. It was a well-documented incident and consistent with the picture we get in the Bible uh, of angels. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around. Notice that word, all. All around those who fear the Lord. Angels are awesome creatures. They are spirits which travel as flames of fire, verse 7 says, but underline that word but verse 8 begins but to the son he says your throne O God is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom angels are not called God particularly by God himself your throne, O God, this is verse 8, this is God, this is uh, quoting the Psalms, speaking to his son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So Jesus, the son, here is called God. And then it goes on, a scepter, meaning, you know, a scepter is that rod that kings used to hold, which represented the authority of their kingdom. It says a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Uh, so uh, the staff the king holds represents his authority. Some of you m may remember from Sunday night when we were going through First Samuel in the Old Testament where King David was told that through his seed, through his one of his descendants, would be a king that would reign forever. Jesus is that king. That's who it is referring to here in this verse, in verse 8. Jesus is that king. Remember the book of Luke, chapter 23. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? What did Jesus say? He said, It is as you say. Jesus is a king. So, an angel incredibly cool, fascinating creature. <laughs> He's not God. They're not God. Verse 9 continues, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. In verse 10 and 11, now if there are any verses in the entire Bible which sends people who deny that Jesus is of God running for cover, it is these verses. This is a quote, a quote from Psalm 102. Again, this is, uh, this is 
just connect back to the very beginning of verse 8. It says, but to the Son, he says, then pick it up again in verse 10, you, Lord, this is, it says, you, Lord, speaking of God, but also speaking of the Son, Jesus, as opposed to an angel, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same. Your years will not fail. In other words, all everything else, all in creation, will perish. That's what created things, creating beings, that's what happens to them. They, uh, they crumble up <laughs> and, and they perish. But it says, but you, verse 12, you all, it says they will be the changed, but you are the same. Your years will not fail. In other words, he is eternal. Now turn with me. This is a quote from Psalm 102. Why don't you turn with me to Psalm 102, right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 102. So again, this is a, um, a, a quote from this psalm, right of the Hebrews, quoting from Psalm 102. He's quoting from verses uh, 25 through 27. But just begin in verse 1. Just so it's, ex- I just wanted to make clear to all of us, to all of you, that there is no question that when the, the, the description is given of Hebrew, in Hebrews chapter 1, of Jesus, it's talking about a description of God. So here you see, as plain as day, the psalm begins, hear my prayer, O Lord. It's someone speaking to God. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Could that be any clearer? Psalmist, whoever this is, it doesn't identify who it is, is talking to God. Verse 12 again, but you, O Lord, shall endure forever. Talking about God. Now skip down to verse 24. It says, I said, O my God. So obviously, again, talking about God. Do not take me away in the midst of my days, for years are throughout all generations. And then here it picks up in what we just read, a description of Jesus in in, um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 25. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will uh, endure or remain the same. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same. Someone talking to God, and this is the description. This is the quote describing Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1. So back in Hebrews chapter 1, again, what is he doing? He, he is describing to them how and why the, Jesus is so much greater than angels. And uh, he's clearly uh, there is uh, speaking of a description of Jesus, the Messiah, a description of God. So uh, just going on in verse 13, but to which of the angels has God ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So the chapter here is finishing up sort of like it began in verse 2. It says that God has appointed the Son 
as the heir or the one who inherits all things. Uh, here in verse 13, it, it, it repeats that very thing. Uh, the, the idea here in verse 13, sit, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool, is that all of history is moving towards the time where every living creature will recognize Jesus as their king. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is master, is Lord. There will be a time when every living creature declares that. In the Gospel of John, chapter 18, Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world, but the Bible is very clear. It will not always be so. Jesus also speaks of a future time. And in this verse, verse 13, he speaks of this time when all disobedience, all rebellion, all sin, everything that comes uh, against God and all his people and his word will be crushed, will be defeated. But to which of the angels has he said, verse 13, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Here, this is an allusion, or this is what's going on here. This is referring to a practice by, of ancient kings who... Uh, these kings, you know, they would have these enemy nations and, and after the kings would defeat their enemies in battle, they would bring the enemy kings before them, force the enemy kings to lie prostrate or basically lie down right in front of them. And they, these kings would put their, he would put his boot uh, over the neck of the defeated king. And it represented how the defeated nation and the defeated king was crushed and it was now powerless. And that is what is going, the Bible says, that is what is going to happen with everything that is coming against God, his word, and his people. And, and you know, I, I lay hold of that promise. It's something that really comforts me. You know, you, you, you look around and, and it just as the evil was, seemed to be closing in on, on these Hebrews, it's the same thing happening today. Where it, 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 at times it, it almost seems overwhelming, sort of just closing in. When is it just all going to swallow us up? Well, we as, as believers in Jesus Christ need to lay hold of this promise which says... That God one day will say, will say, okay, time's up. Time's up. And he's going to say to his, his son, the Lord Jesus, you sit now at, 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 uh, on my right hand and until I make your enemies your footstool. In which case, all unrighteousness will be purged, as we talked about last week, eliminated. And Jesus will reign. So verse 14 closes this chapter. Are they, speaking of angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So it's saying angels are sent out by God to minister to those who are saved and minister to Jesus. He actually, on several occasions, they may, it says in the Bible that angels did minister uh, to him. But the point is, Jesus is greater. He's better. He's worshipped by the angels. 
So Jesus, greater than the prophets, greater than the angels. And, and you may say, well, okay, Steve, you made your point loud and clear. But where are you going with all this? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because the answer's in the next verse. Therefore, whenever you see that word, ask, what is it there for? Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed. In other words, we need to pay really, really, really close attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift away, lest we fall away. Let me repeat that. Because everything we read before it is for the purpose of now coming out with this verse. Therefore, we, that means you and I, must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. So, brothers and sisters... There is a tendency. There is a temptation, sometimes an overwhelming temptation. When things are not going your way, remember these Hebrews, things were not going their way. But this, this morning, the, the, God is speaking to you and to me. When things are not going our way, there's a temptation to respond to, to trials or affliction or, or respond just to temptation, maybe even the temptation of, of what to do with boredom, whatever, <laughs> to relegate Jesus to someone that he is not in order to justify drifting away. And so I have this question for you. Is Jesus Christ the priority in everything that you do, in every decision that you make, what you do with your money, what you uh, do with your time, what people you hang out with, what you lay your hands on, what your eyes behold? Is Jesus Christ the priority of what? You do with your life. We close the time of worship this morning by singing to God, You are my God. You are my everything. Well, is He? Is He your everything? And I, I speak that word to my own heart, believe me, this morning. I ask myself that same question Is He, Steve, your everything? Have you drifted away from a life that really lives and breathes who Jesus really is? We just read in chapter 1. He's the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, purging all sins, every one of them, by leaving the glory of heaven and subjecting himself to the most unimaginable suffering. Mocked. Beaten to the point, the Bible says, that he was unrecognizable. Iron stakes driven in his feet, his hands, and his side. Having the wrath of God's judgment fall with full force on him. 
at a time when he was gasping for breath on the cross. All of that he did for you, for me, for us, a punishment that we deserved. So that you, me, we could have free access into the throne room of the Father and experience firsthand, not through a priest, not through some other person living vicariously, whatever, uh, not through someone else's experience. No, we firsthand, so that he did all that, so that we could firsthand experience the love, the mercy, the grace, the redeeming power of the living God. Some of you may be thinking, I don't believe Jesus is just a prophet or, or, or I don't believe Jesus is an angel. Yes, but are you living your life as if he was just that? Can I speak to my own heart? You know, it's so important as the economy in this country deteriorates, as wings... This is a description from the Bible. As wings attach themselves to riches and careers and man-made dreams and carries them away. It is so important that we fix our eyes on Jesus. Again, this letter finishes up. Hebrews 12, 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. I'd like to close up just by reflecting, thinking really, really seriously about something. Let's think again about these angels that this writer is referring to. You know, there's another wonderful thing that can be said about angels. They have their facts right. Angels know who Jesus is, really. They're not struggling with things like, oh, is, maybe he's just a prophet. Maybe he's just a great man. They, they do not have to deal with things like that. They know who Jesus is. They haven't been deceived into thinking that Jesus is anyone else than who he is. And what are they doing? What are they doing? They're worshiping him. Verse 6, let all the angels of God worship him. Now we read in Revelation 5 this like amazing, mind-boggling picture of wild, crazy worship. And who's worshiping him? It's the ones who have their facts right about God, about who Jesus is. That's who's worshiping Jesus right now. Not only in the angelic realm, but on the planet Earth, men and women who know, who have their facts right. You know, this, this book, this chapter wasn't written so we can run around debating about who Jesus is. I've been guilty of hitting people on the head 
with this chapter before. That's not why this book was written, this chapter. This book was written to make you a worshiper, a follower of God, who offers your body, Romans 12, 1 and 2, as a living sacrifice, as an offering, holy and pleasing to God by the choices that you make each and every day and just by a life of worship, which, by the way, sometimes is about singing. Most of the time, it's about living. And you know something? If wings attach themselves to your riches, your job, your possessions, even your loved ones, and fly away, you will be left worshiping him. Another song we sang this morning, we'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants to do that with you even as you discover who Jesus really is and what he's done for you. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. If the worship team could come up now. You know, if during this message you were thinking to yourself, wow, you know, I I really have been drifting. We're going to have a few people up here after the service to pray with you. The wonderful thing about the grace of God is that we don't have to start over. (laughs) Now, that doesn't really seem fair, but that's what the Bible teaches from cover to cover. You don't have to start over with God. You just pick up, if you're a believer in Christ, where you left off. You've been drifting. That's why the grace of God is, is so wonderful when the prodigal son, after trashing his inheritance, all the riches that his father gave him, He went back home, and he started off right where he left off. That's a wonderful thing about the grace of God. If you'd like prayer because you've drifted away, or if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that not everyone is a child of God. The Bible says, John 1, verse 12, it says, to those and only to those who receive him who embrace who he is and what he's done for them on the cross. To those who receive him, to those who believe him, believe in his name, he will give the right to become children of God if you've never done that as well. Come up and pray with the folks up here who will be, who will be up here as, um, to, to pray with you. It's as simple as a prayer of faith. Okay, let's rise and close in worship. God bless you. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your grace. And, Lord, you did indeed create us to be worshipers, Lord. And, Father, I pray for every man and woman in here this morning, including myself, Lord, that even as we, ha- even as we get our facts straight, Lord, 
even as we align our lives and our hearts with your word, we ask for the grace to allow you and to allow you to be everything so that we can say and believe and really mean it and it really be true. You are our God. You are our everything. And Father, that's the prayer of our heart this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First John 4, 9 says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him.